Hi, everybody. Welcome to the May 15th OA Rice Speaker Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. My name is Cassie, and I am a compulsive overeater. OA Rise stands for Recovery Inspired Shared Experiences, and we are glad that you're all here. As with all OA meetings, OA Rise is run entirely by OA members who are volunteering their time to make this meeting happen. On occasion, there are glitches in online meetings that cannot be anticipated. Please bear in mind that we are doing our best, so we ask that you take any negative reactions to your sponsors. However, we are happy to hear from you if you would like to provide us with kind and constructive feedback. Thank you very much for your support. Thank you for being here today. Would everyone who wish to please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you, everyone. OA's unity with diversity policy, as we extend the heart and hand of the OA fellowship to those who still suffer, let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy, which respects our differences, yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. The OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. This is a speaker meeting. At this time, all attendees are muted. This meeting is being recorded so that an audio only recording can be posted on the OA.RISE website. There will be a Q&A at this meeting. And if you have a question for the speakers but do not want your voice to be heard on the recording, please send your question to a co-host through the chat and we will read your question for you. Here are a few tips for participating in this Zoom meeting. One, the chat feature is currently turned off and remains so until the end of the meeting. You may chat with any of the co-hosts if you need assistance. Please note that speakers are only listed as co-hosts so that they can have ease of access to use the Zoom features. They will not be able to respond to questions in the chat. So if you have any questions or concerns during the meeting, please communicate with the OA Rise host or co-hosts only. Two, you can change your name as it appears on Zoom. To do this, click on the participants tab at the bottom of your screen and a list of attendees will open up in a window pane. Select your own name, click on the tab that says more and choose re rename. If you are willing, please add your geographical location after your name so we can see where everyone is from. Three, out of courtesy to the other attendees and the speakers, if you get up and move around during the meeting, if you need to eat, check your phone or talk to someone who is in the room with you, please turn off your video feed so that your actions will not be distracting to others. If it is necessary, we may turn off your video feed, but we're happy to turn it back on when you're ready. Just send a message in chat to any co-hosts and they will enable your video again. Four, please note that specific foods may be mentioned at this meeting. Five, we will take a five minute break at the end of the first and second hours. 
And finally, just a reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. And did it get around to asking somebody to read the steps and traditions? But will somebody volunteer to read the, the steps for us, please? I can actually do that, Donnelly. Go ahead now. Yes, okay. Uh, the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. <clears throat> One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, <clears throat> came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. In 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you. And would somebody volunteer to read the traditions? I can do that. Uh, hi, friends. I am a compulsive overeater and bulimic. My name is Sherry. Oh, and I've got somebody at the door. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to pass. Can somebody else read the 12 traditions? Sorry, guys. I will, I will read the traditions, everybody. Hi, these are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Those problems of money, property, and prestige diverse from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, overeaters and honors remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 
Hen Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And now, um, it's time to introduce the speaker. And our speaker today is the lovely Wendy, who is uh, here to share her experience, strength, and hope with it. And with that, Wendy, I'm just gonna turn it over to you. Oh shoot, Wendy, you're not made a co-host yet. So I'll unmute you and then, um, oh, you're good. Okay, there we go, thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, um, friends, uh, I am a compulsive overeater. My name is Wendy and I am here by the grace of God. And um, welcome to everybody. Can you all hear me okay? Good. Okay. Uh, welcome to everybody today. And I especially like to welcome anybody who is new or coming back. Um, I, uh, I think it's really important to welcome the newcomer because uh, I was sure welcomed when I came in. It's really important to feel welcome uh, by people and OA made me feel really welcome. And uh, that was a great gift. And one of the reasons why it was more comfortable sitting in a meeting of um, uh, people that I'd never been with and in a place I didn't really did not want to be. I had no idea it was going to change my life like it has. Um, I'm filling in for another speaker here today. So um, I will do my best to um, to cover the, the topic, which is journey through the steps, the 12 steps. And uh, they have been everything to me. They changed everything in my life for a really long time. I live in Penticton, BC. In, that's a, like a little city in the Okanagan Valley in um, in British Columbia, but I was a I was um, first introduced to Overeaters Anonymous in in Vancouver in September of 1988, um, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what my my story is and how I am as a compulsive overeater, and. Um, and, uh, and then I'm going to start talking about the steps a little bit. And then at the end of this first hour, I'll leave a bit if anybody has any questions. And I, I would like to say to anybody, especially anyone who's new, I'm just one person in Overeaters Anonymous. And so all I'm talking about is, is my particular story, my Wendy story, and my Wendy recovery, and what my experience of the steps were. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not speaking for Overeaters Anonymous as a whole, so take it with a grain of salt. And 
I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm 63 years old now. So I came into Overeaters Anonymous and had my life changed when I was in the last few months of 29 there. And my particular situation is that and I was a compulsive overeater and I wore weight. That um, was true from the time I was about maybe six on, I guess. I wasn't a normal weight and enough that people commented on it. Mm, I'm a twin and my twin was always super slender. It's a guy, Billy, and he was always really small. My family also were small. So um, I don't, I, unlike a lot of us, I don't come from a family where compulsive overeating was modeled for me, if you will. It, I'm the sole compulsive overeater in my family. And um, of my conscious memories, uh, I, I just don't remember a time when I wasn't. And like I say, for me, it meant overweight. Uh, I, uh, oh, she's frozen. Hopefully she comes back. <laughs> Darn, I think we just lost her entirely. Does anybody know how to do a can-can dance? <laughs> Jazz hands, anybody? We established yesterday that I cannot do the can-can. <laughs> we could lead you in a round of singing. Yes. Kumbaya. Everyone would leave then. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, her internet obviously kicked out, so. Has it come back in yet? Tonight is the Junos in Canada, so. Oh, good to know. Thank you for saying so. I did not know. There you go. If anybody else is in Canada, so that's like our version of uh, the, the Grammys. Grammys. That's a little bit scaled down, maybe not as glamorous. Should I stop recording? No, uh, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> There's Wendy. She's coming here. Hey, okay, you can start recording. <laughs> she's there, there. She's coming on. Go away again? Oh no, she's still there. Is she, oops, is she back? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. 
I felt good. I got kicked out, but I, I, I just went away, but I'm back. I hope that doesn't happen again, God willing. Um, anyway, I think I was saying that uh, I just was not able to deal with life on life's terms. Like we, we use that phrase. I, I was sensitive and um, I just found, I just found life difficult. I found everything about life difficult. I found being in my family difficult. I found being who I was difficult. I just found life difficult. And so um, it was not a good thing to overeat in my family, but I still did it. I just didn't know any other way, you guys. I just didn't know any other way. So the weight came on and uh, people commented on it. My mom, especially, um, kids were mean to me. So I'm that kind of compulsive reader. And, and, and uh, if anybody has had that experience, my heart goes out to you because um, you're called on it. You're, you know you're overweight and, um, and it's like people don't let you forget. And they pointed out. And doctors pointed, I had one doctor just call me fat. And um, that's really sad, I think, but it's really true. And um, so um, my compulsive overeating, um, I, I continued to put on weight. And um, I thought like a lot of people when something happened, when I got, when I wasn't living at home anymore, because there was addiction in my home. Um, when... Uh, I don't know, when I fell in love, all those things that you think will change it. I thought it'd be different, but it wasn't different because um, I wasn't different. And until I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I didn't realize that it's not about changing the external things at all. It is about changing the only thing you can change, which is looking at changing your own character through God's grace and, or a higher power or belief in something bigger than you, bigger than the food. Um, so... Oh man, I learned I was morbidly obese because I read it on a health thing at work. I had to have, you know, they had to take my weight and I guess I had to have a, um, a health report done and I read it. That's how I knew I was. I'd never heard the term before. I had to look it up. Um, and, uh, but boy, I was ashamed of the way I was. But no amount of shame and no amount of guilt would change the way I ate. It wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. Pride wasn't enough. Being, having pride in, in my appearance or wanting to kind of go like this to anybody who had ever said a mean word to me, that wasn't enough. I didn't have any faith in God that I remember. Um, I had an accident when I was about 22 months old that changed a lot of the way I was in my first few years and I had to be kept indoors a lot. And uh, it was just kind of a very different life. And I was, um, I was looked after more, I think, than a child would be, than my twin, say, would be, who could do anything. They were really worried about me. And then I had a couple losses when I was 15 years old, some deaths, my death of my father and the death of my very best friend, Valerie. And they happened together, same month. And, um, and, and maybe some people stopped eating when they're in grief but that's not true for me and I didn't and uh, I kept binging through everything and then I put on weight and I, I just want to qualify for anybody who may be new or anybody who may eat like this 
um, I am talking about the things that I thought were particular to me, that I thought only I did my secrets, things that until I came into OA, I didn't know other people had made up to, like things like chipping away at, at frozen things in the freezer because you can't wait for them to thaw. And um, taking things from one end of the ice cream carton. The bottom end, just in case somebody opens it from the top end. I thought I made that one up. Apparently, uh, other people are real creative too. Or um, the, thing, the, the horrible combinations of food, because that's my story. I ate horrible combinations of food if there was nothing else, like sugar and butter mixed together. And um, you just can't talk about that in polite society or that you go after something after you've thrown it away. Who talks about that? Like who would say that? Only in an OA meeting, it's the only time I ever heard that said. So bless anybody and everyone who qualifies at an OA meeting, who says, I ate like this, or who, who talks about their weight. I think it's important to newcomers to know. They don't know if you always look like that, or they don't know if you're bulimic because maybe they're bulimic and it's still a secret. Maybe they haven't said that yet, but you saying you're bulimic or you were anorexic is gonna be the door that opens for them to make it okay to be them. And the fact that, and so I was a hundred pounds overweight, that is my story. So I'm somebody who wore out clothes at the thigh first, like, um, I, I had to get rid of pants because the stitching came undone. I wore them away from uh, my legs rubbing together. So that is my story, you know, um, wearing out clothes at, 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 in ways that they shouldn't be worn out or not being able to fit into a brownie uniform or again, just my story because I wore the weight. Um, no more horrible than anyone who didn't, but just my, my experience. Um, Step one, I want to talk about because I had no understanding of God and I had no understanding that I was a compulsible reader and that my life was unmanageable by me, which is what, um, what I understand step one to mean. It's unmanageable by me. So the, the rest of the steps told, tell me what I do about that. They actually have a solution that it's, oh, it's unmanageable by me. I can't stop compulsive overeating. And I did lose weight once. I'm not a dieter at all. I didn't eat those kinds of foods. So I knew nothing about proteins and carbs, anything like that. I did diet once on chocolate bars. I think I had three Snickers bars a day, or maybe it was just two. I forget. I was in New Jersey and I exercised a lot and I lost weight on that. But I, I didn't have the ability here to be in that body at the time because nothing had changed here. So the body changed, but the head didn't. So what the steps, why they're massively important to me as a compulsive overeater is it's this, they change. And then it allows this to look like this. Uh, whereas I've been trying to change this or change you or live somewhere else, or have a different job, or be loved in a different way by a different man, or um, 
achieve something that I would feel good enough about myself that I would um, want to not do that to my body. But I'm, I'm here because nothing, nothing like that worked for me. Not in my first 29 years. Happily, something like I said, something happened in September of 1988 that would change my life and would introduce me to the fact that there is a higher power. There is actually something bigger than food. And unless I believe that there's something bigger than food, I am so screwed because I will always turn to food. And I, I said just before I kicked myself off the Zoom meeting that um, abstaining from binging means to me that there is a pause. There's time put in between anything that happens and my reaction to it. That's what's awesome. And I especially am grateful to have been asked to do this today because I'm actually in a lot of pain and um, I haven't been feeling well. And that's, a, that's exactly the time that it's important to be grateful, to be abstinent and to understand that. I was so binge over that, oh my goodness gracious. Even if I wasn't feeling well, I would get out on my bicycle or I'd, I'd get myself to the store and binge over, I, I would binge over that. I would binge over pain so totally. I'm all about dopamine. And if, if that can give me that momentary pleasure, but the thing is, it's so momentary, it doesn't even count. I don't really taste anything after the second bite. So what this has done for me is given me, abstaining means I have a pause. I have a break. There's time put in. There's time that passes between whatever happens and what would be my normal reaction to it. And I'm, I'm also powerless over alcohol. So my normal reaction would be to um, self-destruct with those two substances. I'm also a vegetarian, by the way, but I was 100 pounds overweight. So, so much for that little... You know that one that goes around that, oh, I'll become a vegetarian. I was a vegetarian when I was about 13, I guess, maybe from then on. And it didn't change anything because there is no meat in chocolate bars. So my problem is that I just turn to something that can't help me. And I have been introduced to a way of life that's allowed something to change. And I would, I've been in a long time, obviously, but I just want to qualify. I was abstinent for many years, like about 16, maybe. And I worked the steps. That's my weight loss pro pro program. So in one I've ever had is that I worked the steps and it took the weight off. Then I went into relapse, which I don't think anyone ever thinks they're going into. It's a state. Relapse is like a state. I chose to binge and, and like so many people talk about when they go into relapse, they think that their years in will allow them to believe in God the way they did and to grasp ab abstinence the way they did. And like many people who share like that, that was not to be for me. I went into a state called relapse. And for me, that lasted a really long time. I have been abstinent again by the grace of God for 19 months. So if you have gone into relapse or if you, if you have that story, I just want to tell you, I, I, 
I got a second chance, so I, I know you will too, because I did. I mean, I had more than one kick at the can. And even though I threw it away, no one took it from me. I threw it away, I did. I did have another day of abstinence and tacked another one onto that day and then tacked a third day on. So please don't leave before your second miracle happens, I guess is the way I would say it. And I just wanna say about step one, um, I just want to talk about step one. In the words of Bill W., my page fell out of the big book, so it's kind of here, and I'll just read from it. This is my perfect example and description, way better than I can put it, of step one with food. I'm going to read it like it's written. It's out of the big book, which I was introduced to, and I'm so grateful to. I was introduced to it right away. Our behavior is abs absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. Up to this point, you would label him as a foolish chap having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he is slightly injured several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently is hit again, and this time has a fractured skull. Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good. But in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. On through the years, this Conduct continues accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce and he's held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine which breaks his back. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who have been through the ringer have to have admit if we substituted alcoholism, food, for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However intelligent we have been, may have been in other respects, where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? That's page um, 37 and 38 out of the big book, more about alcoholism. It's a chapter and I read it every day. Every day, because I'm the jaywalker. I'm the jaywalker who kept running in front of the road, thinking this time it's not gonna hurt me. And then that hurt was so bad. That binge was so bad. I felt so sick after while I was lying there, you know, couldn't do up my clothes. And then, and then I, and then the, oh man, the, the sickness afterwards, the hangover was so bad, but that was so bad. I'll never do it again. But then I went out in the street again, and then I get hit by the fire truck and then it's worse. And I think that was so bad. That was such a bad experience. 
that'll be enough. It's never enough. It, it was never enough. It didn't matter what happened or what the consequences were or how upset my mom got at me and what I was called, the names I was called or how it impacted my work because I used to go somewhere to binge uh, before I went to work. Yeah, she got off the sky train, you know. None of those things, not love, not affection, um, not trying to grasp a philosophy of life or try to be a better person. None of, for me, none of those things worked. So um, that is to me the best example of step one is the jaywalker who, and, and this isn't some guy just strolling out on a country road when, when there's like a crosswalk and there's no cars coming. This is someone who sees the cars coming and goes out anyway and goes right in their path. And that is the kind of compulsive overeater I am. And so I appreciate Phil W for writing that, that little story about the jaywalker. It has helped me so much. And like I say, I read it every day because I'm a jaywalker. I'm just not jaywalking today, but I'm a jaywalker. And I think the last breath that I take, I'll be a jaywalker. And hopefully it, that last breath won't be because of jaywalking, but I still will be a jaywalker. Hopefully I will not have been jaywalking that day. So today and yesterday and the day before it and the last 19 months, I wasn't jaywalking, but I'm a jaywalker. Um, I'm, I'm a compulsive overeater. My name is Wendy and I'm a jaywalker and I'm here by the grace of God, I guess is what I'm saying. So, you know, that step one is crucial. It was really crucial to me getting help with the steps, but it in no way implies a solution at all. Because you can be sitting somewhere and going, wow, I'm a compulsive overeater and I have to and go through Oreo ice cream over it because you feel so bad about yourself. It is only helpful that part about being unmanageable, life being unmanageable to you in light of what comes next. And it's why, why I like to say, you know, um, that our lives have become unmanageable by us is the is the not said but as i understand it inferred is that i come to understand that life is unmanageable my life is unmanageable by me if if i'm doing it the way i do it i can't do it the way i'm trying to handle my food it isn't going to go anywhere if it's if it's me so that's where step two kind of got me and i just want to say for anybody who didn't have a higher power with you totally there. I'm not a seeker. I'm not coming in as somebody who was trying to find God. That wasn't my experience. Um, because of the deaths that happened in my family, I wouldn't have been looking for any God. And I didn't believe that there was any. I had that real personal idea that if there were a God, nothing bad would happen, I guess, maybe. But I don't know. I, I wasn't looking for one as far as I know. No one in my family was interested in that either. So I am somebody who came to believe who came in the doors and just liked what you said and tried to ignore for a little while what was up on the wall, which were the steps. And what made me come back is that somebody said, somebody qualified, somebody had the guts to say, you know, yeah, I binge and when I eat chocolate bars, she I still remember this many years later, she said, I threw it in the trash 
And then I covered up the chocolate bar wrappers with more trash so that nobody would, what? Look in the trash to see if there were chocolate bar wrappers in there. That's a compulsive overeater. That is somebody who thinks like I do. Because if my twin brother ate a couple of chocolate bars in a row, he wouldn't, he, he would just throw the wrappers away. He would, he would, because he doesn't have that shame about it. It would just be like him eating a couple of chocolate bars in a row. If I did that, I'm gonna hide the fact. The sneakiness, the cunning, baffling, powerful nature of what it means to be a compulsive overeater is huge. And about the steps, I found them really hard. I find them really hard. But compulsive overeating is really hard. It's exhausting. It takes up so much time. Oh my gosh, the binging, the planning the binge, you know, the going to another store if it didn't have exactly the ice cream I wanted having to find the exact combination of things. And if it wasn't right, I, I'd go out again. And then, the, and then doing it and then hiding it and then lying for it. Cause I have to lie to people for why I can't go out and make up excuses. And then the recovery period got longer and longer. And believe me, I was young. I was 29 years old when I first got abstinent. But when I went into relapse, my body got older and it's a darn sight harder now, now that I'm over 60, for my body to get better from ill treatment. If I don't practice self-care in every way with my body, it just doesn't react well. And binging and the things I do to my body, if I'm in the food, I'm old enough now in my 60s that I really don't want to do that. I, I look at it differently. When I was 29, I did want to be slender. You betcha I did. I wanted to be slender. I'd never been slender. And although I was afraid of being a normal size and I actually judged people who were a normal size, uh, which I, by the way, I had to get rid of that. That was a, an immense thing. And a and, and a change in my head, which the steps gave me. Because as long as I resented people who were thin, that, that definitely meant I could never be thin. Because I was saying I didn't want it, right? So um, until I, I, I did, I wanted, to be, I wanted to be able to run and have my body go up and down at the same time. <laughs> you know, like, like bouncing on a trampoline and have everything work together and um shop in a normal size store with you know with it not and my last christmas gift was a and a gift certificate to additional my mom gave it to me just to shop in a normal size store i wanted all those things i really really came in to be a normal size so it is really important to me to say that you know yes i did i i wanted that I didn't want God. I wasn't looking for God. I didn't know you were a spiritual program. So bless the people who got up and talked about the horrors they'd done with food, the things I did, my secrets, you know, my secret little things I did when no one was looking and talked about those things out loud and made it okay for me to talk about those things that I did out loud 
And then their message was, I've done all that. My message was, I've done all that. Their message was a little different. I've done all that. And I don't have to do that today. Wendy, that's uh, 30 minutes. You have five to. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anne. Wow, um, look at me, I was like 30 minutes for step one. I have to pick it up, hey? Step one and kind of step two. So um, for the last five minutes, I'll just talk about step the importance to me of step two and step three, because that was the game changer. That people were up there saying, and they had the light in the eyes, you know, and they were saying, I don't have to do like that anymore. I too was like you, not today, and here's why. And they didn't attribute it to what I was thinking they were going to attribute it to. But it was so weird. I thought there must be something to it. And I just wanted to stay with you guys, I guess, maybe. Um, they said they started using words like higher power and God. And they talked about them freely. And they talked about the fact that that was the reason they weren't doing it today. And they also talked about, because the big book was talked about, there was no 12 and 12 when I came in there. Uh, OA anyway, it hadn't been written yet. And they were talking about the big book and how the big book says the solution is a spiritual one. It absolutely is. And in steps, step two is going to make the huge, it's the thing that turns the page because all that is true in step one, my story. Step two is what's going to be the solution. That's the thing that's going to give me a life and everything that comes after. I got to find a higher power. That is the solution. And the big book is really clear. The solution, the whole point of the book is to help me find a power greater than myself that will restore me to sanity. And that is going to allow me to be a different person or to be the Wendy I always hoped I would be. And to be the Wendy when no one's looking that I am when everyone's looking to have that kind of integrity, which is what I realize is what I always wanted. I guess that's my time, Anne. Pretty much. Uh, you have three minutes. Oh, look at that. Look at, look at me. I've got three minutes. Okay. So coming to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity and making decisions to turn my will and my life over the care of God as I understand him, what if you don't believe in God? Well, this again is only my experience. Fake your way through it. You don't have to mean it. Or I should say, I didn't mean it. I just did the mechanics. Like I got a sponsor who got on her knees. So I did the mechanics of getting on my knees as well. Like brushing your teeth. You don't know what it's doing. You don't know how it's saving your gums and your teeth and you don't have to. Or like turning on the light. You don't have to understand electricity. That was my story. That's how I got my higher power and my faith in God. I totally, totally faked it. Totally. I went through the motions. And in this case, going through the motions as if I were someone who believed and as if I really believed that you could turn your will and your life over to God, my life started to change in ways that were just too bizarre to put it down to anything else. So um, 
I'd like to, again, welcome anybody who's got any concept of anything that is a power greater than the food, because the food is the higher power to find something that's bigger than your addiction. For me to find something that will solve my problem that is bigger than my food addiction and is bigger than the food that I would eat over any circumstances, place or thing. That's the thing. That's what's in the steps. That's what's promised. And that's what's going to make all the difficult, tricky steps that come next easy to do. If you got a God who's looking after you, or I felt I had a God that I'd given my life and will to, so I was going to live through doing the other steps. I think that's probably my time, Anne. Is it me? Basically. Basically. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, and clearly I need to pick up the pace. I will do that. And so, uh, Thank you for listening. Thank you, thank you to everybody um, for listening today and to my first um, me talk about my experiences of, of, of how it happened for me, how this miracle for one, two, and three happened. So I think now, um, I think, is it, am I correct in assuming it goes to a question and answer if anybody's? Yeah, Q&A. <laughs> Q&A, Q&A. Okay, so um, if, if I've said anything confusing or anybody would like any further um, information or anything or ha has anything to add to any of that, um, please put your hand up. Um, Theodora, does that mean you have your hand up? Oh, look at you. You've got your hand hand up too. Yes. I have a question. So, um, what what was different or what did you do different uh, between the first time that you were in program and abstinent and after your relapse? Because, you know, when you first, I, I assume when you were first thing, you did the steps and the, and the program and everything, right? And, and so you knew everything and then it didn't work while you were in your relapse. So what was the actual thing that you felt like worked like when you came back to actually get you abstinent again? Wow, great, great question, Theodora, because you're right, it wasn't the same. And um, one of the things that I thought about when I was in relapse is nothing's new to me anymore. I've been in for a long time. It was really hard to believe, you know, that I could be abstinent again. It wasn't going to be like that first time or whatever. Theodora, I'm not 100% sure I know why I went into relapse. I, I kind of said that I said to myself I did, but who really knows? Like, I don't know. I expect that I probably loosened up. What happened to me when I got abstinent is that I'd forgotten how to do that pause, that wait between something that happens and my reaction to it. And I don't know why that day, October 8th, I don't know why, but I was willing just that day to do that when something came up, because I, I had been praying and I had continued to go to meetings. I've never left OA. So the only thing I can think of uh, is that I, that maybe this is cumulative and maybe the things that I had been doing and sticking with finally gelled for me 
because um, that day wasn't different. And that's a really important message to give everybody. There were no trumpets and no scroll that opened out of the sky or angels that came down or anything. There was nothing to, to, to indicate that that was different. I think it was cumulative. And when I did that day, I suddenly had the willingness that I hadn't had that when something prickly happened, when life happened and I didn't know what to do, that I, I, I put time in between me and that time that I would have picked up. Time to give it a chance, that craving a chance to leave. But one more thing I just wanna say about that, Theodora, I hadn't been binging every day. When I, when I, and I used to mark down when I binged. So I'd have days, you know, where I didn't. So clearly something gelled. And, and my message also is because I've been in so many years, how do I know that something I didn't do or somebody, something I, somebody I didn't help or uh, by then I started a meeting where I'd moved to, co-founded it here in Penticton with someone else. I don't know and if I don't know what gel to give me the ability to start again when it wasn't new, if you've been in and it isn't new and you don't think you can do it, why I thought that God could do help me do that again. If you've been doing stuff and you feel like you're not seeing results, maybe yet is the operative word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Theodore. Let's see. Is anyone else? No. Hi, I will, Randy. Um, hi, friends. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. My name is Sherry. Yeah. Like my phone. Um, so. I know you and I have had this conversation personally before, but I can't actually remember what the answer was to it. So I understand what you're saying. I've had the same experience many, many years ago, having lost my abstinence um, and tried desperately to get it back um, for three and a half years. And I, I remember much like you, that there was nothing special on the day that I got abstinent, there was nothing special the next day or the next day or the next day, but suddenly those days kind of added up. And I'd had plenty of other times where I'd had months of abstinence um, and then I would fall off the wagon again. So I don't know, there's no like bottom that happened on that day. And I know I've heard in the past, many people say, and I still hear it today and I get prickly, like you said, when I hear it is that when you're in enough pain, it'll happen for you. And I, I personally think that's BS because there is no way that I was not in enough pain years before or the day before or a couple of months before. Like I had so many bottoms like with physical food um, that you would think that would be it like the jaywalker. So what is your feeling on the 
when you're in enough pain? Like, do you think you were in enough pain two years before your last abstinence happened? Do you think you'd had enough at any point and been like, okay, that, like you said, like the jaywalker, like, that's it. I'm done. This is as awful as it could possibly be, but then it continues. So what's your, your, do you have a, a feeling about the, when I'm in enough pain, it'll happen for me. Cause I, I feel like people say that to other people, when you're in enough pain, it'll happen for you. And I think that's really discouraging because it's like, well, aren't I in enough pain right now? Does that, does my question kind of make sense? Yeah. Absolutely, and um, yeah, I you know, I think I might have said that in my first abstinence. I think that I probably did say that to people, and I. But if I lost my abstinence, there were definitely reasons, and I think for me. Over the years, I'd lost a lot of gratitude. I'd been used to being abstinent. You know, I've been abstinent for a lot of years. I was, I think I got used to being a normal weight. Um, I do find that a discouraging um, thing to say. It is something that goes around OA. And uh, I, I know, I, you know, because I've seen people in other addictions too, um, and they were in a lot of pain. Um, so I'm with you. I don't really have an answer to that. I don't know if there is one. Um, and I, I hope I don't say that to people now, because um, I do find it a little, a little dismissive. Um, as if you're not working, you know, if, especially if you've been in. Um, uh, as you can imagine, I took a lot of flack having been absent a long time, sp spoken about it and sponsored for years. And then when someone goes back out that you sort of trust um, to carry the message and you've gotten used to carrying the message, um, that, that's quite a change. And um, I did hear a lot um, of varying opinions um, from people about why I lost my abstinence. It's, it's not helpful at the time, uh, that's for sure. It, it, and it's, that's why it's not really helpful as much as people want to avoid that. So they want to ask you why, why you think you lost your abstinence to try and avoid it themselves. But I really, I don't really know. And um, I, would, I would have to agree that people are in a lot of pain. I have to say, I have noticed uh, since I've been abstinent, I'm more willing to do the steps in a way that I wasn't before. Um, I, it was harder to be motivated because I wasn't abstinent. You know, I was still going to meetings, but I, I, I wasn't in there because I, in the same way that I was all in again when I when I got abstinent and I think my head cleared differently. I believe I was working with almost like a different brain when I wasn't abstinent. Uh, it wasn't the same one that I had access to when I was abstaining. Um, I've said this before, but for anyone who's gone into relapse, uh, if you had this experience, 
I forgot completely what it was like to be in the food when I was abstinent. And when I lost my abstinence, I forgot completely what it was like to be abstinent. I really did. So my message is I don't, I, I don't know. Um, and there's a lot of pain that fuels a lot of, a lot of action and that we hear a lot about, but I, I don't know that to me that that wouldn't have been helpful hearing anybody say it to me. If anybody, I'd, I'd like to hear though, if anybody finds that helpful, because maybe that's someone else's experience that they found that helpful, but no, it was inferred. I don't think anyone said that out loud to me, but it was kind of inferred, you know, and, and not helpful, not helpful. So. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you. And I know I see um, Carla. I'm the one who's unmuting people. So I'll let Carla go ahead. Hi, Carla. Hi, my name is Carla, also overeater. Sherry, thank you for your questions, what you just said. And I appreciate my Canadian friend there. I'm originally from Minnesota. But anyway, um, I understand it's like I've been trying to get no, I've been trying to get abstinent for almost two years now. I've been in another program for 11 years. And like they say, you can't transfer the credits. And I thought that was hard. This is so much deeper and more stuff is coming up. And it's like, I just, other programs I need to go to, but I can't because my head takes me everywhere. But to stay abstinent in the beginning, it's like, yeah, I did it. But it was like fast, you know, liquid diet and stuff like that. My sponsor suggested, you know. So, of course, this stubborn little girl, you know, I'm a retired nurse. I know how to do this stuff. No. And then I started again. And it's like, I just feel I got out of the month uh, hospital a month ago at ICU because of my eating and the problems it's caused because of bypass surgery and stuff. And they said, if I had to have surgery, I'd probably wouldn't make it. You'd think that would stop. But here it is a month later and I'm right. And it's like, if somebody were to tell me that, if I was a nurse still, I'd tell them, but yet I can't tell myself. I just feel so insane. It's not as bad. I mean, but still abstinent, you're either abstinent or you're not. So I'm trying to get into the program and waiting for the miracle to happen. And I, again, thank you, Sherry, because that just made me feel like I'm not alone. And I just keep coming and I'm just waiting for that great white light. You know, I've started the steps with my sponsor. We got up to 10 and we started again. It's like, I get it, but it's not like going to school. Yep, yep, yep you got to keep doing it. And it's so much deeper than my other program because you can put down and just go on. You got to open the tiger, you know, the tank every three times a day. And it's like, I'm lost, but I know God is with me. I don't know. I'm just trying to claim my seat and get out of my head because 
that ping pong match goes and I get crazy and I'm thankful for my sponsor and another lady I've met in this program that are helping me learn to love myself and not be so hard, but damn it. I want it. I don't know. Thank you for letting me share. Wendy, it's, it's um, two o'clock, I guess. Uh, Pacific. So um, other little, couple other little things. Um, since we have Q&A today um, with the speaker, we'll just talk about, uh, um, you sure knows how to do those kinds of things. So if you would like to ask a question or share, please raise your hand. And there's two ways to raise your hand depending on what version of Zoom you have. So the older versions of Zoom at the bottom of your screen in the participants tab, you can click on this tab and a list, open up a list of names. At the bottom of the list, you'll see raise your hand button. Um, updated versions of Zoom at the bottom of the screen is the reactions tab. Click on this tab and you'll see the raise hand button at the bottom of the window. A reminder that this meeting is being auditorily recorded. We will call on you using the name you have given. So if you're uncomfortable with your name being on the recording, please change your name to protect your anonymity. By sharing or asking a question, you can send to being recorded and having the recording posted on the OA Rise website. Also, we would like to um, take a brief moment to observe the seventh tradition and pass the virtual seventh tradition basket. So according to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. Our OA Rise meeting expenses are a Zoom meeting subscription and the cost of the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so that we can upload the OA Rise speaker meetings for you. Contributions in excess of our meeting expenses will go directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive ears. And um, Sherry is going to talk to us about the seventh tradition. Uh -huh. Yes, friends, I am going to let you know how you can donate. So I'm just going to pass on. Uh, I don't know if there's members here who are here regularly. I know I see I see a lot of names I recognize. It's a small meeting today. Um, but um, but just a, a heads up, we are a regular meeting. Uh, we do have expenses just like other meetings do. But we also have additional expenses, as were noted, because we do pay for uh, a place to have storage so that we can have the speaker tapes available, tapes, you can see how old I am, uh, the speaker recordings available for everyone. Um, you can go online to the oarise.org uh, website and find all the previous recordings for the past two years there. Um, there's podcasts, you can also download them onto your computer. Um, so all that does have uh, a chart, a cost for us. And we really seem to struggle at this meeting and I'm not sure why. I don't think it's because people aren't wanting to donate to the seventh. I think it's just because we kind of keep going and maybe it's forgotten. But uh, just as a point of information, our last meeting uh, two weeks ago, we had uh, at one point we had 75 people and we ended up hovering in at around 50. Today's a, 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 um, a lower number meeting for whatever reason. I'm sorry, Wend, I wish we had more people to listen to you. Um, but anyway, so for that meeting where we had lots of people, we only had $13 in donations. Um, so when that's the case, in order to keep away rise going, it'll end up being those of us who are volunteering who end up um, 
having to come up with a bunch of money so we can keep this going. So we would definitely appreciate having uh, donations to the seventh if you have the means to do so. So really quickly, I will just after that spiel um, show you how you can do so either now or after the meeting. Um, you just have to go to OARI. Sorry, I'm sharing the screen. So you just go to Google or whatever uh, search engine you have. So you just type in oarise.org, click on it, and the contribute button is right there. So if you do have, like I said, the means to help us, we would really appreciate it because we do definitely want to keep this meeting going. Um, there's a lot of recovery that comes from, at least certainly for me, why I want to be here, why I want to keep it going. So I hope you guys feel the same. Um, okay, so if we can just take two minutes to sort of do an actual pause, and if you have the um, time to do that now or after the meeting, we would really appreciate it. So we'll just pause for a couple minutes. Thank you. Oh, and also, yes, yeah, somebody um, has just sent a message to me saying, um, oh, that they sent money through PayPal. Yes, and if you can do that, it is through PayPal on the um, website as well. Um, and someone is asking me if I have the, a way to let them know. Unfortunately, I'm not the treasurer, so I don't have access to look at that. Um, but Carla, how about if you just, oh, sorry, I just named you, I apologize. <laughs> if you, if you want to just send me your um, contact information, I can find out from the treasurer and make sure that we did get it if that um, it helps you feel more rest assured that this is working. Okay, thanks everybody. Thank you, Sherry.
Welcome back, everybody. And um, I think it's just time for uh, Wendy to continue. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cassie. And thank you, Sherbert, for talking about the seventh tradition. You know, uh, I didn't know I was going to be in this long in OA, but the reason like somebody like me can even have had meetings to go to for 33 plus years is because seven traditions have, have kept meetings going. That So I had meetings to go to. Um, they used to say, just think about what your, your a binge would cost. And uh, I really appreciate that. I really, really appreciate that. So thank you. Um, and again, welcome everybody. Welcome to you. And anybody new or coming back, anybody struggling, anybody who's been abstinent and isn't abstinent now, um, I'm so grateful that that's, that's me just because I'm abstinent now, but I wasn't. And I just want to say that um, it, is, it is an incredible, incredible blessing to have had that opportunity to get abstinent again and be abstinent. And, you know, I was thinking about the nature of pain and one thing that is really important about step three has been really important about step three to me getting abstinent this time is uh, that it's painful to be in the disease, but I don't, I don't know if we say this a lot, but it's painful to get abstinent. It's hard. It, it's, I found, find it, I found it hard. And, and I remember, I'd kind of forgotten that pain of what it was like the first time. But when you're not answering the call of a craving and you've been answering the call of a craving, that is really, it's, it's painful. It's painful to sit, just kind of sit with your discomfort rather uh, than taking action um, to use food to deal with that discomfort. It's just uncomfortable. Um, and I had also forgotten that, that it is like that. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of sitting with yourself, a lot of willingness to be uncomfortable um, in getting abstinent because that always came or the fear. There were always reasons for that lead to overeating. And if you're not overeating, you're sitting with those reasons. And this time, what I found, um, step three, which is I make a decision to turn my life and my will over to God as I understand it, is, is different than my first step three, third, like 33 years ago. It's less conceptual and broad, and it's more pragmatic. I'm definitely more pragmatic now. I'm more re looking at realism, like what works. Um, like going to bed at a certain time, waking up at a certain time, um, lying down when I'm not well. Um, those are just pragmatic because they work. They, um, I'm not pushing myself or, or setting myself up for something that might cause me to want to overeat. Um, and there's a pragmatism in my step three, which I really believe is a really, really, really pragmatic step. Really is a make sense nut and bolt step. Step three now to me is I always prayed in the morning and turned my life and my will over. But now 
what that means for me is that I'm, I kind of make that decision uh, on my knees when I get up, but I have no idea what that means. Because, you know, turning your life and your will over to God, what does that even mean? You have no idea yet because that stuff's all still to come. I, I, I don't know what Sunday's gonna be like even, like, I have no idea. So it's, it's a conceptual kind of, if you will, um, commitment that I make when I'm on my knees. I'm kind of going, you know, I'm wanting to be, I'm gonna remind myself of this later. This is what it means for me to now. I'm saying the words now. I turn my life and my will over to you. I either stay, say this third step prayer or I um, just say those words. But like I say, I have no idea what I'm talking about. What is that even? I, I'm turning this day until I go to bed over to God and I have no idea what's going to happen in this day or how I'm going to feel. I don't know what's going to happen to me, what people are going to say. I don't know the circumstances of anything. It's just all conjecture. So what I'm doing now, what I do is it is huge. It has makes all the difference for me to remind myself of this throughout the day over anything, anything I don't like, anything that makes me uncomfortable, any questions I have, doubts, fear, illness, because like I say, I've been ill and I've been in pain lately. Um, I stop and I ask myself sometimes out loud if I'm alone and I often am and Wendy I say my name Wendy or wind I say did you turn your life and your will over to the care of God this morning and unless I goofed in which case I do it right then I have, and just reminding me myself of that commitment, of that promise I made, it makes a difference. It does. I, I suddenly feel stronger because Wendy isn't stronger, but I, and nothing has changed, but it's just like I've reminded myself I'm carried. That's what it feels like. Oh, I'm carried, I'm carried not by any person, place, or thing. Because those are all, they're just all imperfect. We all make mistakes or we all just, we, we, you know, you, you can't count on those things. It's, it's kind of nice if it's there, but if it isn't, the fact that I've turned my life and my will over to a God that I am recommitting to, that I'm saying, I trust you. I don't get this. Help, I hurt. Like I'm in pain, like I'm crying. But I turn my life and my will over to your care. And in my heart, I trust my God. I trust that it's going to be okay. That that he, that he or she, or it is okay, let's say. Because I used to say, it's not going to be okay, or maybe it is. Sometimes, the, sometimes kind of like a Rubik's Cube, uh, the universe lines up, and it's all the same color, and you go, this is great. But generally speaking, uh, no, the outside isn't looking 
looking or or you know it's bugging me or it's just not exactly what i wanted or i'm not exactly i don't feel myself or or you know or i'm afraid of something or or somebody wasn't as 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 diplomatic with me or i wasn't as diplomatic i'm i'm saying something that i that I wished I hadn't said or done something I wished I hadn't done. Reminding myself that I've turned my life and my will over the care of God reminds me, you don't have to please me. I don't even have to please me. Uh, the universe doesn't have to please me. I'm kind of hoping those things line up, but if they don't, part of trusting, part of having God rather than like a person, let's say, or chocolate as my answer is those things are are of a material nature. This is all encompassing and it and it gives me faith. It gives me like a it gives me a pause. And I think, okay, I really do. I, I think, okay. Almost then it's almost like I'm curious to see how it's going to work out rather than I'm I'm upset that it's not going to. It's almost like, okay, let's see you do this one kind of. And it's so it changes me. Um, and it also fuels for me the reasons I do the other steps. I did a four and five when I was in relapse. And I'm sure glad I did because, again, you don't know. You just don't know what you're doing, which is putting money in the bank, spiritual money in the bank, you, you don't know. Um, but doing that moral inventory, looking at my character has been really, really important to me staying abstinent over the years. It is huge because I believe today the same way I believe when I came in. Whether I'm abstinent when I go to bed tonight has everything to do with how I feel about myself. whether i think i'm worth being abstinent today do i like the person i've been today do do i like what i've done today do i like what i've thought today because those things always did matter before i just didn't know it i i didn't know it that's why i didn't have an answer to anything i tried to change people i resented people i was jealous i i'm so familiar with jealousy i was jealous of so much and uh now it's more like i'm thinking um i have to be right with me and when i've done simple things like returning a phone call it's like goofy little squiggly things that don't seem to kind of mean anything um to food but but i don't know they seem to mean everything to me they're they're things i i generally like myself um if i face something I, I I just like myself better for it. It's worth it. The smallest thing, it's worth it because I binge over the smallest thing. So being abstinent really does seem to me to have to be over the smallest thing. So doing fourth and fifth step um, to anybody who hasn't done it, that's where you've taken the third step. And with the knowledge that God is looking after you, your higher power has got your back. You sit down, you do something you don't want to do with somebody you don't want to do it with that's what i call the fourth and fifth the fourth is and uh said fourth is something i want to just rattle off i get on a bus to topeka kansas and i'm sitting beside someone i'll never see again but that isn't how i've done them i've actually done them with people who are in program i've had two sponsors i've done them with people that i would be 
feel that, ew, you know, because I don't want them to see me that way. I want them to see the picture I would prefer to paint. And so I don't want to see those sniggly little, little tiny little resentments I have that I'm going to actually say out loud. I really don't want to, yeah, yeah, I don't want to. But the important thing for me has been to do it with someone who sat in the hot seat themselves. They have sat there and thought, I do not want to say the truth of this person. Boy, I don't want to say this one. I'm going to miss this one. And what is this person going to think if I say that? Those are the people I've chosen to do my fifth with, my sponsors, because they themselves had done fifth steps with somebody, their sponsor, someone else. That's given me some comfort, I suppose, in thinking, well, it was you once, but it isn't today. And so it's me now. And, and then it's somebody else going to give it to me, right? And they're going to choose me to do their fifth because they know I have sat in that awkward position. And maybe hopefully it's going to give them comfort to think so. So in writing everything down for me, it has a lot to do with resentments. Uh, because I'm specifically kind of a resentful person. I remember, I can still remember certain scenes, scenes where I was resentful. I, I had this injury uh, and I used to go up to little kids when I, I, I was a kid and rub their necks and go lucky duck because they had smooth necks, lucky duck. My mom reminded me of that and I remember it. I remember doing that. I, I, uh, I, I just, and it's not that that's bad to do. It's just that things where I feel like I'm, yeah, and I remember that time too. And what about what that guy said? And then, yeah, you know, that wasn't fair either. I might eat over that. You know how things kind of just build one upon each other and you remember all the things or people didn't say or did say or when they didn't show up or when they didn't do something. Or I remember when that teacher said that. And by the way, there was that too. I'm going to eat over that. Um, and the one thing I want to say about jelly, a, a jealousy I want to cop to is my dad died when I was 15. I was jealous of people who had a father. And I felt sorry for myself because they had a father. You know what? I realized, I came to realize, what do you want to bet somebody was jealous of me because I had a mother and they didn't. I had a mother, somebody without a mother or I lived in a nice home and I did live in a nice home. I bet a whole bunch of people were jealous of me. Maybe there was somebody who was a sibling who would like to be a twin and I'm just a twin through no, nothing, no credit of mine. And somebody think, well, gee, I'd like to have a twin. That must. So uh, I've, Turn a corner where it comes to jealousy. There is always somebody who doesn't have something that you have, that I have. And there's always somebody that is maybe has something I want. And it's just a circle. That's really helped me tons is that we all have gifts and we all have things that people, other people are wishing they had. And so for me, that's really helped me with jealousy. Um, if anybody has trouble with that, I, I really, really, really did. And uh, 
So resentments, talking about my resentments. I did follow the big book format myself. I did. It really helped me. It's straightforward. It's like, ba da ba da ba da ba. I followed it. And in the fourth column, it says, hey, what about you? Where have you been self-seeking, dishonest, self selfish, selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, or frightened? Because frightened is apparently fear is something you can actually turn over to God. It's like a character defect that can be given to God. Who knew? So that helped me tons. Then I felt like I was really knowing. The, the benefit to me of doing a five is somebody really knows you, not just what you're showing them, but like everything about you. And they still look at you and smile and stuff. And you're still walking around and breathing and they are too. And so there's something wonderful about being like this, knowing that you have aired it and then you're free. That's what I felt. And I felt like God, the step three there that I did got me through that. Six and seven are sneaky, goofy steps, but they're super important to me because defects of character isn't something I'm going to fight. I'm going to be different. I know I'll just be more honest. I'll, I'll be, um, I'm going to be a better person. I, I, I don't like what I did yesterday. So today, you know what, from this day on, I'm different. I can keep that up for varying parts. Of, and so can other people. When I try to change them, they, they, you know, they can keep it up for a bit, but honestly, everybody is who they is, they are, and I am who I am. So six and seven are about inviting the God that I turned my life over to in step three to, to remove character defects from me. And it's not my part to will them away or fight them away or battle them or pummel them. I pray about them. That's all I do. But my part is to pray. Um, and steps eight and nine. Oh my gosh. Nasty little steps. And they've been awesome for me and they continue to be awesome for me today. If anybody hasn't done a nine step or is avoiding a 10 step because they think you feel worse about yourself, that hasn't been my experience. I probably made amends where I didn't have to. And it's not saying sorry, by the way. I said sorry is an excuse for my next thing, like to get me out of hot water, but it's about mending. It's about saying I was wrong here. This is the way, this is what I did that I don't like and I'm, I'm apologizing for. And then my part is that I'm praying to God to remove that behavior from me, to move that dishonesty because I am quite dishonest. I, I thought it was a creative talent for years to just be able to come up with a lie real quick. I, I can do that. Yes, it's a, it's a, it must be a genetic gift that I was given. So, uh, but it doesn't work in, and not with the food. It does not, it's a fair, it even works with the alcohol better than works with the food, but I will go to food really quick. Again, if I don't have integrity, integrity, it's about doing, it's, it's about being the same when I'm all by myself and you guys can't see me as I am when you guys can see me. Um, so making resent, uh, dealing with resentments, going and mending the fences to everybody. I went far back for me, that works going far back. If I've got something that keeps coming up and I'm still thinking of it, I may not like myself over it and I might eat over it. I don't know. So, uh, it's about big financial amends. It's about posthumous amends. I, I do living amends for being a compulsive overeater. I give food every week. Um, but also I do a thing about just general um, uh, posthumous amends um, that I realized I did that I didn't deal with 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 my mom when she was alive so I do something in kind 
uh, as a way of reparation. Again, it's for me, obviously. It's for me cleaning up my side of the street, which is always the deal. And step 10 is about me looking at uh, what's going on right now that I, uh, an oversight or something that is happening, something I've just said, or uh, that leaps out of my mouth before I can shut it, or um, an action or something I did out of fear, fear motivated maybe, mm, or, um, uh, and it's not just cash register honesty, going back and saying, you know what, uh, you guys undercharged me. I actually, I, and I, uh, I will go back and do that again because they don't care. It probably makes, somebody pointed out to me, Wendy, do you know every time you do that, you make more work for somebody? They have to do paperwork. I know, I never thought of that. It actually does, but I'm sorry, I do it anyway because um, it's about me being right. It's right in the world, right about how I feel about my behavior. Um, so step 10, those are man's steps. Liking myself, like actually liking Wendy Chapman, like, cause I have to live with her. I've lived with her now for 63 and a bit years and I'm gonna be with her a long, lot longer. I go to bed with her every night. It really is liking who she is, liking how she is in the world, you know? Both my sponsors are kind of kind of big on that, um, that I've had, and I like their example, and I like what it's done for me. I like how that has made me feel after I do it. You think it's gonna make me feel worse, but it didn't. In my experience, it didn't. Step 11 is seeking through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact. And it's a conscious contact. So it's not just thinking that God's with me all during the day, but what I can do to improve that conscious contact. Because I don't know, maybe I stopped improving it. Who knows? And that was something that over time led to me going out. I don't know. And because I don't know, um, it seems, according to step 11, that you have to keep improving your conscious contact with God as you understand him. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. I miss on that one. I don't actually pray only for the knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. I'd love to hear for anyone who does because I think that's probably the way to go. I'm a, I, I go on a bit more. <laughs> um, but I, I, I really want to talk about step 12, and I'm not sure how much time I have left to do that. But I, I, I want to talk about step 12 and how important it is to, to pass the baton to the next person who comes along. If you have found any kind of answer at all as a result of being in OA, how important it is to keep it fluid and to keep it going to keep telling the person and then they tell the person and so on and so on like that shampoo commercial used to go it is really important because you don't know what seed you're going to plant i think i have had it says having had a spiritual awakening as the result the result of these steps that's how it was written so all these steps taken together and especially the first 11 up to that. I do them consciously and I will have had a spiritual awakening. And then I try to carry this message. I try to the best of my ability, bless their hearts for saying try to carry this message 
to other compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all my affairs, everything that comes up for me in all walks of what life I, I live. That's what it is that I, that I try to the best of my ability to be an ambassador of a way that maybe somebody somewhere someday will get a picture of a way just because maybe they remember they saw somebody who didn't, I don't know who, who because of the steps dealt with something differently and they remember that they had that picture. Um, I've been given a lot since I've been in OA, more than I can possibly would have ever have thought. The main thing of which, which I think uh, 12 talks about, is that everything that was bad in my life, that real, not everything that was bad, but everything about me, the way I dealt with life that I thought was the worst turned out to be a really wonderful thing. A really wonderful thing. It turns out to be the thing that connects me to you and say, I did this. That secret I never would have told, I did this. And somebody might go, wow, me too. I did that too, that they wouldn't know unless I said that. So everything that I was trying to keep hidden, it, step 12 is telling me, don't keep it hidden. And I just want to, um, do I have time to read a little bit? Do you have time? So yeah, you're at about 25 minutes and you have uh, about five now, if you want to do it now. So. Okay. I, I'll just wrap up with this. It's from my favorite pamphlet, If God Spoke, spoke to OA. It's a beautiful, beautiful description of step 12. He might, if God spoke, spoke to OA, he might have said, into your weak and feeble hands, I have entrusted a power beyond your estimate. To you has been given that which has been denied the most learned of your fellows not to scientists or statesmen, not to wives or mothers, not even to my spiritual leaders, have I given this gift of healing other overeaters, which I entrust to you. It must be used unselfishly. It carries with it grave responsibility. No day can be too long. No demands upon your time can be too urgent. No case to pity, too pitiable, pitiable, no task too hard, no effort too great. It must be used with tolerance, for I have restricted its application to no race, creed, and no denomination. Personal criticism you must expect. Lack of appreciation will be your common, uh, will be common, and ridicule will be your lot. Your your motives will be misjudged, and success will not always attend your efforts in your work with other overeaters. You must be prepared for adversity, for what men call adversity is a ladder you must use to ascend the rungs towards spiritual perfection. I may not exact a view beyond your capabilities. And I'll just finish with this. It says, you are not selected because of exceptional talents and be careful always if success attends your efforts, not to ascribe to personal superiority that to which you can lay claim only by virtue of my gift. If I had wanted learned men to accomplish this mission, the power would have been entrusted to the physician and scientist. If I'd wanted eloquent men, there would have been many anxious for the assignment, for talk is the easiest used of all talents with which I have endowed mankind. 
if I had wanted scholarly men, the world is filled with better qualified than you who would have been available. And I'll just end with this. You were selected because you have an understanding heart. For your long experience as a compulsive overeater has made or should make you humbly alert to the cries of distress that come from the lonely hearts of overeaters everywhere. Thank you so much for listening to me and God bless. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, we're open for question and answer period again. So um, again, um, if you'd like to ask a question, there's a couple ways to raise your hand. Please raise your hand and the speaker will, um, Wendy will call on you and uh, Sherry will unmute you and things like that will happen. Reminder that um, this is being recorded. So we will call on you with the name that you have given. So if you're uncomfortable with that, um, just please change your name and it uh, you will protect your anonymity that way. Or you can also send your question in the chat um, to the host or any of the co-hosts or to Wendy herself, whichever shows up or whatever is convenient. Go ahead and send it your question in the chat and we'll ask the question for you if you prefer not to um, be heard on the recording at all. With that, we're open. We're open for questions. Well, I always have things that I could ask Wendy. <laughs> so, um, so hi friends, uh, again, I am compulsive overeater and bulimic, my name is Sherry, I'm going to add myself here. Um, Wendy, you spoke, maybe I missed it, I know this story, but you spoke about um, uh, stroking the other children's back saying lucky duck or something like that, wasn't that what you said? about their neck or so can you could you say that oh you're um muted there you go um would you explain that a little bit more i know yeah. you're talking about jealousy because i don't know if you explained why you right. did that and then i have another question that follows that up i'm sorry you're absolutely right i did i didn't um so uh when i was 22 months old I got third degree burns on my starting here and on my neck and goes over to my left shoulder and kind of goes down a little bit here. So, um, so that was really uh, serious. And I was in the hospital uh, for a, a very long time. I don't remember the pain, which is uh, what's wonderful. Um, but, uh, anyway, part of the zipper got, I, I don't know how to say that without making it sound really gross, but, um, anyway, um, there were, I needed blood transfusions. Um, I guess I must've fallen and, um, 
and it was really touch and go. Um, it was serious. And after I got out of the hospital, then I had to have my wounds dressed for a long time. And I also um, had to sort of stay inside. We lived in Kelowna at the time, and it was it during the summer, um, you know, where you usually go outside. Um, I couldn't do that. And I was wrapped up pretty, pretty well, and uh, I couldn't, um, um, oh, there were just a lot of things for, for a long time that I was kept uh, away from, uh, and, uh, and I, so my mom tells me how I, because I, I can't, I remember saying lucky duck, but I, I and she told me, and I remembered it when she told me, I so remember that. And I remember feeling later because I was scarred. Um, it looks pretty good now that I'm 63, but um, the scarring that that calls, you know, it causes a real shiny, ropey appearance, if anybody knows about third degree. Mm. So um, because we live where everybody wore bathing suits in the summer, I was really jealous um, of the way the other kids looked. And again, the thing about jealousy is it's it for me, it was just thinking, you know, about me and, 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 and that I used to say that to other kids, I was jealous because they didn't have that. Um, but the reason why that kind of jealousy, to me, well, it has made the difference is understanding that somebody else would be looking at me and what I did have and and jealous of me for that you know like um another experience I had share bear that was about jealousy was I was on the other end for the first time in my life after having been morbidly obese when I lost all the weight in Overeaters Anonymous I was a normal size and I was on the I was on the other end of jealousy for the first time in my life there were, I remember a couple of women coming up to me in a store and, and when we were looking through sizes and I was looking through a fairly small size and they, and, and one woman saying to her friend, oh, you don't want to look in those sizes. That's just for anorexics or people who are, I forget, or I forget what else she said anyway. And I wasn't, but interesting, hey, because I had been jealous of people who were a normal size and now I was a normal size. So um, jealousy is rampant for sure. And it resentfulness and looking what you had that I didn't was a real big thing for me. Understanding that other people were looking at what I had that they didn't has been a big turnaround and helped me. And I prayed a lot about jealousy and resentment both. Thank you. I did not explain that well. Thank you. Oh, yeah. No, and I know because I know about the birds and I, I didn't know if other people would would um, under, uh, would have understood what that was fully about. But um, so so now that that jealousy thing has been uh, talked about a bit more, my my question is. How do you, because I, 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 I exactly as you said, um, with the weight and things in the world, I also find that that can happen in OA, 
um, where there is some resentment. And I sure, I sure have had it too, you know, when I, when I've been struggling and I hear people talking about how their life has changed and all this stuff. And I just want to say, F you, <laughs> you know, like I'm here, I'm trying, uh, my life isn't changing. I'm still unemployed. I'm still, you know, all of that stuff. And then, um, and then I, I think that I try to be reminded about, especially when it comes to my OA recovery, forget all the exterior material things of life, but in my OA recovery, I'm only to be judging myself from where I've been, not against other people. Um, and so do you find that there's any kind of, um, do you hear that in a way? And do you have a way of, of, of negotiating that with yourself if you find yourself having like jealousy inside the program for what other people have is that is that I feel like my questions aren't making sense but does that make no, sense no 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 that totally makes sense to me and uh it's a great question because recognizing that's part of my character and by the way I was one of those people when I was in relapse that would look at people who were abstinent and they had what I didn't want. So I'm sure there are people looking at me now that I'm abstinent. It's, it's the way of the world to a certain extent, I'm sure. But yeah, you know what? It's, um, it's a really good point. But as you know, when you've been in for a really long time, if you're going to stay in Overeaters Anonymous in for as long as I've been in 33 years, it's like living in a very small town right? It's, it's like a family. Uh, and um, we talk about loving each other unconditionally, I think to the best of our ability we try, but we're human beings. And it's, so I would, this is my experience. Over the years, um, I had to find some way of, of, uh, being level with somebody else again and not judging them because you're gonna, they're gonna show up in a meeting, you know? It's a small town. It's like somebody showing up at the drugstore and you see them at the library and you know, and so don't say too much to them if they cut you off in traffic kind of thing. And I live in a town that's a city that's kind of like that. You're gonna see the person again, yep. So uh, there's no, ain't no anonymity here. So um, in that way, I look at OA and my place in OA as a way of looking at judging how I'm doing with everybody else. And this has been my experience. I've done a whack of four and fives over, over the time in, and I have people in OA on my list. Again, the four and five is about me. So it really doesn't matter, you know, I'm just looking at what somebody has triggered in me really, but it's important that I do that. And I either don't put the name or I make up a name or just put an initial or whatever, because I'm giving it to somebody who's also an Overeaters Anonymous. But yes, that, that you know what, that's been huge because then I'm going to look at my part in this, look at my part in every, whether I'm in a family or whether I'm in this family. Um, otherwise, it would be very difficult to stay in 
as anybody knows who's been in any for any length of time because then you just start avoiding certain meetings or anywhere where you think somebody may show up and it becomes almost impossible so um if if i had no idea i was going to be in this long but uh that has worked for me i i am praying for people um i'm a big big fan of that um you guys know that that um in that that story in the big book called freedom from bondage where it suggests that you pray for somebody that you resent every day i do that and some people have never stopped i've been doing it for years and i have never stopped because i'm saying their name in prayer and sooner or later i guess I, I was almost thinking their name or saying their name like a curse before if i've got anything against them uh and it it just becomes gentler and that has really, really helped. So I go through a lot of OA people in, in my morning, in my prayer list, like a lot. Uh, and also appreciating that everybody who's in OA is also the reason why I'm still here because they kept OA going too. And that really helps me. Thank you, my friend. everybody ready to take another break about a five minute break for everybody and we'll come back and um hear more from wendy thank you ann um our meeting let's be the our third our third section here and uh, we have about another half an hour or so to go and wendy has some more uh on the steps that she's going to share with us and then we'll have some more we'll likely have some more q a again towards the end thanks wendy thank you cassie hi everybody um i am a compulsive reader my name is wendy and i'm here by the grace of god um so um i just uh, you know i, I just in case anybody wants to know, I will, I'm going to talk about how I eat, what I eat. And so uh, I don't eat sugar. I don't, I don't eat like desserts and stuff. Mm, um, I eat kind of at set times, kind of basically thereabout if I can. Um, and I make sure that I definitely eat three meals a day. I don't try to skip anything. Um, and if I um get hungry in between i usually i usually eat fruit um i'm i'm going for peace of mind with with my abstinence it gives me peace of mind on a daily basis there isn't any fear there and um and also just um sustainability you know, I, over the years, I've seen people, if they try to pick something that they can't do one day at a time, you know, then, then, you know, it's not worth it. Or if it's something that I'm not happy with, I got to like my food. Definitely. I like my food. And I try to eat slowly uh, and appreciatively when I eat. And I do mechanical things also to help me with that. I eat with chopsticks a lot. I'm a vegetarian. Um, and I slow myself down. I, I, I use smaller utensils. I do things that will slow me down. 
if I'm so that if I'm not particularly attentive to slowing down, that definitely slows me down. But like I say, I'm a big, big proponent over liking, liking what you eat, like really liking it when you eat it, not just that's why I never dieted because I would have had to eat foods I didn't really like. I've learned to like them, though. But when I was a kid and stuff, I just I just wouldn't, you know, so um, um, things have to taste good. And I and, you know, so many things in the big book have helped me. And I I just want to um, touch again on what on two things that really help me on a day to day basis is feel like I have a peace of mind with those about me and in myself that'll that give me a better chance of being of abstaining throughout the day not hurting myself because to me it you know compulsive overeater and and the speed and the just the way it, the combinations of food um and the money oh my gosh the unmanageability of the money it's so expensive to binge and i'm on a fixed income and like the stuff i binge on was just the closest i could get it and that was usually the most expensive you know corner store the money oh my goodness um so one thing that really is huge to me and that i really want to talk about is um praying for people um this, this story, Freedom from Bondage in the big book, how it changed my life many years ago. And it still is an incredible tool. It starts on page 544 in the big book. And it talks, it's describing a woman who was sober and life was going well. And she, you know, she was working the steps, but there was just this one resentment that just stuck in her craw. And she just could not, she just could you know, it just had claws in her and it, it just wasn't going away no matter what anybody said and um and she realized that she might be her reprieve maybe running out she may be gonna drink over this and i find that uh, the food thing will hit me a lot sooner than the alcohol thing would <clears throat> would it's a lot more available for one thing so eating over resentments is something i have lots and lots of memory about I can remember how fast I would go at ice cream thinking of of what I was angry about and I would speed up and speed up as I as I thought of them. So this is a big one for me. So that's why I guess step nine was so big and why it really released weight from me is because this resentment thing is huge. Uh, I have a long memory. So um, it, it, anyway, it's talking about this resentment and and this woman in her morning prayers, she uh, asked that God point out to her some way to be free of this resentment. And then during that day, a friend of hers brought some magazines to a hospital group she was interested in. She was like leafing through them. And then she saw an article by a prominent clergyman in which she caught the word resentment. Buddha thunk, huh? Just when she prayed about it. And he said, in effect, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing that you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you don't really want it for them and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyway. 
Do it every day for two weeks and you will find you have come to mean it and to want it for them. And you will realize that where you used to feel bitterness and resentment and hatred, you now feel compassionate, understanding and love. Well, fake it. Okay, so that's how I got a faith in God is by doing the posture of praying, getting on my knees and like repeating some prayer I'd learned in school when I was a kid and then doing that every day because my sponsor did it. So I'm all about faking. So um, this is saying the same thing. You do not have to mean it. And I don't. When I resent somebody, <laughs> like what? You're going to be praying for somebody you resent. And you, you're praying for everything good to be given to them. Everything you want for yourself. I wasn't going to come up with that one on my own. I'll tell you, that one would not have entered my head. It's just one more way that a 12-step program is counterintuitive. Um, and this has been a stable for me, stable for me for a lot of years. There are people that I pray for every day that I haven't stopped for for years, like years, years. And because uh, I, I don't want to, it's worth it. It, I don't know what will happen if I do, because when I say the name in prayer, it is different. Like I say, when, in my, when it's in my head, it's more like a curse. I'm thinking how worthless I feel because of them or whatever. Um, when I pray for them and say their name, if you, I don't know if you got, it sounds awkward. The name sounds awkward. I'll be saying out loud in the word pray or bless and this person's name would not normally go in the same sentence together right they would not uh go but they do and what i found that just like this woman what i found in this experience freedom from bondage is it has freed me the name changes i changes for me I say it and I keep doing it and I keep it. It's like every day for two weeks here. Thanks to that guy. But I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just basically every day. And it's worth it. It is so worth the time because the time I put into resentments and, and the things that are going through my mind, like when I'm binging and stuff, I'm busy all the time. My mind is never neutral. Something's going on. This is worth it. It's just like I'm using my brain for a blessing purpose. And it, I start my day that way. And I'm like, I bless this person. God bless this person. God bless this person. I pray for this person's health, happiness, and prosperity. And all good things to begin. And it turns my mood around. It takes a long time to do because I'm 63. Uh, but I I do. I pray for everybody. I, I everybody and I go back a long long way because everybody it's almost like because I do it then I start to believe like everybody has blessed me kind of um because I guess they're part of my prayer list or something so but everything has brought me here and that has been like a huge secret weapon to me I really feel like it's a secret secret weapon um so I'm I I'm grateful for that and the other thing um there are so many to me awesome, 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 awesome lines in the big book. And I know everybody probably talks about them. Um, one of them from uh, the whole chapter, We Agnostics, for me, um, makes me smile. I love it. Um, uh, if, if anybody finds a piece of literature that makes their heart glad um, or makes them go, Hang on to it. 
heavens, hang on to it. I, I, for me, there are passages in the big book that do that for me. And I want to feel that way, you know, I want to feel that. So I read them. Another thing that has blessed me over the years is a line that isn't well known, but it's from a letter that Bill W. wrote to somebody, to a, a woman whose husband kept slipping. And he wrote a letter to her. It's actually in um, As Bill Sees It on page three of As Bill Sees It, which is an AA book. And it says, believe more deeply, hold your face up to the light, though for the moment you do not see. I keep that one. Um, I got a piece of cardboard. I have it like written out on, on uh, with, with felt pen. Again, I read that and I'm like, and the world is going through a lot. And um, it just makes me feel better about the world and gives me faith in this moment. And the other thing which everybody talks about, and I'm no different, is the passages on, on acceptance. I, I, I want to talk about that one it now is on page 417 and the in the big book and that and it's uh accept us once the answer used to be called something different and it was on a different page and and everybody used to look at everybody knowingly and say page 449 when it you know when it was you know acceptance read now we can't do that anymore but um uh, anyway, it is on page 217, and I, I want to highlight this and what it's meant for me. And why this is important for me is I've been in a long time and I still haven't found anything that slips through this one. I, I, I have tomorrow, maybe. I don't know. But for today, no. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. And that is true for me because you know what? Because it is. This moment is what it is. Whether Whatever I think about it, it is. It's this moment and it is this way. That person is that way. I am this way at this weight at this time, feeling this way in pain. I am not well, I'm well, I'm anything. It, it, just because it's true, I, I, I just can't argue with that. And acceptance, or I like allowing better personally, is allowing that that's true allowing that 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 is yep that's how it is that that person is that person and that if they're expecting me to be different it probably ain't going to happen and i if i'm expecting them to be different they're maybe they will be but it won't be because of anything i do you know what i mean um 
that is huge because nothing slips through that net for me. And that really helps me be um, abstinent today. I heard, I, you know, I've been going to an AA meeting in Kiev, Ukraine for quite some time now. And uh, somebody said at the meeting today, they were talking about being in the moment. And they said, because today I live at the corner of here and now. Here and now. And that's where I live at the corner of here and now. And I like that. Um, right now, it is what it is. And um, I hear that bandied around a lot, but for my abs for me to be abstinent today and what it's going to be like for me later when I eat dinner, I know that if I, I read that or if I remember what that is saying, because the whole point, it goes on and on as well, way beyond that. It talks about, you know, just accepting people and the world as they are because they are whether we like it or not, because whether I like it or not, it is that way. And that I'm living in the world right now in this moment, in this body, at this age. I'd like not to be 63. Um, and being abstinent at 63 is not the same as being abstinent at 29 or losing weight at 63. It ain't the same as losing the weight when I was 29. But I'm not 29. I'm not in my 30s, 40s, or 50s. I'm in my 60s. Uh, so somebody in their 70s, 80s, or my Uncle Alan, who's 93, is like, he, he laughs at me sometimes. He's like, I'm 63. It's like, you're such a baby, you know? But he's coming from being 93. So I'm just coming from being 63. So whatever it is, it is. And can I do the next meal understanding that it is, and I am, and you are? If I can do that, it, it bodes well for me. There's like a peace in that. You know, you know, and just, just admitting, you know, there's a peace in that. One of the most humble things I, I ever heard, and talking about somebody who, oh my gosh, he's like my hero. My mom told me she was walking along the seawall and while she was walking, she saw this little kid and this guy walking along who I guess had quite a receding hairline or something. And the little kid looks at him and goes, you doesn't got much hair, does you? And without skipping a beat, that guy says, no, I doesn't. That's, that's what I like because you're 63. You know, you, you look a lot older than you do did. Yeah, I do. I do. You know, like, I'm not saying I like it when people, you know, criticize me or anything, but really to a large extent, it's a lot easier for me to not fight and to recognize that, um, yeah, yeah, I, I was hurt, uh, like something came up for me that comes up a lot. Um, I was talking to a doctor in the hospital yesterday because I went to the hospital to be seen and this, this it's not his stuff. This is my stuff. But every time somebody says this, <gasps> I go like this. He was flipping through my chart. First of all, I, I'm on medications, which I'm sensitive about. And he asked me about them. So on my end, I'm sensitive. Then he says, he said something like the way he put it was, where do you work? And I don't work. 
and I'm sensitive about that. And I have been for a long time. I'm very, and I feel naturally defensive. And, and I, I said, I don't, but the defensiveness is mine, you know, like this is old stuff. This is, this is my stuff. So those things I know from having been in relapse, I was a lot more triggered by stuff. Um, partly because I was guilty, maybe because I was feeling worse about myself because what you saw wasn't what I, what, what I was like when I was all by myself. But um, now abstaining and, and not hurting myself with food, um, it is a little easier, I find, and it's super important, um, I think, to my abstinence um, and to me feeling good about myself, just to accept myself as I am, my body as it is, my teeth as they aren't, because I don't have very many anymore. These are all I kind of purchased them, but they work well. See, I can still smile and everything. And um, I'd rather have my own, but I don't. Aren't I lucky? I, I was able to purchase ones that kind of do that thing for me. And um, I know that stuff is going to happen to me as I go along. And I'm just talking from being abstinent today, everybody. Um, I'm hoping this one day at a time um, through what I'm learning to do and what I'm learning about the program will allow me to be abstinent tomorrow and abstinent the next day but i'm not there yet you know i mean sunday and um, all the tools that everybody has talked about none of this is original everybody's talked about it um but all these things because they are talked about and because they're passed down and because having been in a long time you appreciate what's been passed down and the shoulders you stand on of the others who pass them to you and the responsibility I feel for passing them on that somebody else may find comfort in them and be willing to go through I, I, what I believe is, is discomfort and pain of giving up addiction um, to quell the pain, funny, hey? But in actual fact, it's painful. It, it, it is not easy to get abstinent, not for me, I don't think for most people, but it is worth it. And it did start with one day. It just did start with one day until I went to bed. That's what it started with. And, and I have another day till I go to bed and another day after that. And, um, and I am just hoping that I go to more meetings than I've ever gone to, by the way. It's goofy. I've gotten really lax with the meetings. Over the years, I think I was only going to my home group, but since so Zoom, I'm definitely, and since I co-founded a meeting here in Penticton, I'm going to a whack of them. So anyway, um, I'm just grateful that I am part of this God-given fellowship, and thank you very much for listening to me today and for everybody who's gone to all the work that it takes to put this on and keep OA Rise going. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy, for being here with us. We sincerely appreciate it. It was a fantastic afternoon here. Um, <clears throat> I think um, unless anyone has any questions, does anybody have any questions for Wendy at this time? Oh, I'm so sorry. I went on a bit. Okay. Anybody does speak now. 
Otherwise, um, I'd like to thank Wendy again for being here today. It was fantastic. Um, we are so glad to have you here sharing um, and giving service to the OA program. And as a reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's anonymity. Take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA Rise goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to support the World Service Office. And we have posted the second tradition information earlier. We'll post it again. Please give what you are able so we can keep, keep OA Rise going. Lastly, OA Rise contributes, oh, excuse me, continues to look for members who are willing to give service to the meeting. We are always looking for speakers or perhaps speaker suggestions, as well as members who would be interested in joining our committee and those who could volunteer once a month to help run the Zoom meeting. No previous Zoom experience is necessary. And I can attest to that totally. Got some fantastic uh, Zoom experience and we will show you how to do it. And if you're willing to be of service, please send a message to one of the co-hosts. Thank you everybody for being with us today. I'm so glad you're all here. And after we close the meeting, uh, we will open up the chat for a short period of time and you can unmute yourselves if you'd like to connect with others. And um, please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength, and hope at our next speaker meeting, which is June 5th. And our topic that day will be the 12 steps and the spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And right now we will close this meeting and we're, we'll close the meeting with, um, I put my hand in yours and Wendy will lead us in um, her chosen closing prayer. Yay! And can take to me go like this with our hands. You don't have to do that. But we go like as if we're holding them. Okay. I put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a feeling of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Thank you. Bless you. I just uh, let everybody unmute if you'd like.